the Columbus Casino may say, drill, baby, drill. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Laura Bischoff, Statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Leah Sellers, professor at the Ohio Northern College of Law. And Catherine Terser, legislative director for Ohio Citizen Action. The Columbus Casino does have another card to play in its stare-down with the city of Columbus. First, a quick reset in casino politics. As you know, voters okayed the building of the casino in the Arena District. The city convinced the casino owners and voters to move it to the west side. But now the casino wants tax breaks and other incentives, so the city said no. And it said if the developer, Penn National, does not allow the city to annex the land on which the casino will sit, the city won't extend water lines to the casino. So now, as the dispatch first reported this week, Penn National says, okay, we'll drill wells and get our own water. Reggie Fields, if Bugsy Siegel can build a casino in the Las Vegas desert, can this casino drill it and get its own water? Well, they say that they can. Um, uh, and. Some of the earlier tests, uh, they weren't drilling far enough, apparently. They, they did some drilling. They found that the water was, was quite contaminated, uh, and so they thought that maybe that option was off the table. But now they're saying that if you dig a little bit deeper uh, into the soil, you can get uh, some clean water. They think that they can do it. I mean, what we have already is like this high-stakes you know, poker game that's broke out even before we even have a casino built in the state of Ohio. So, so is this just another tactic in this ongoing negotiation or this this face-off do you think absolutely it's, it's a tactic um, it's um, it, it's uh, just another chip to bring to the ta- negotiation table with the city but there's no way the EPA will will approve this there's um, the underground it's it's contaminated and the city has water lines available the EPA has never uh, stepped in the way of a city requiring annexation for such utility services um, the city was already bound to, provo- to provide sewer service, so it's really just the water. But it has to, I mean, the, the rhetoric has gotten a lot harsher. The spokesman for the mayor, Dan Williamson, former Columbus on the Record panelist, s- called it a shakedown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the casino operators said they were being bullied by the city. Catherine, this is getting nasty. Well, you know, I, I just think it's funny because it reminds me of siblings fighting. You know, no matter, oh, we're just going to drill, drill our own well. That's what we'll do. Um, and, and, you know, I'm taking my balls and I'm going home. <laughs> and I, it just strikes me as kind of funny, um, this back and forth. I think it gets back to, to uh, the point, the earlier point, though, is Penn National apparently had made a, a, a promise that they would annex into the city. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't, ultimately, I think that's what's going to happen. But uh, it seems like, you know, you've got to, with everything, there's some, some politics in play here. Uh, but it's it's a matter of getting them to own up to an agreement that they apparently made with the city long ago before uh, the casino even moved sites. They may end up with a little bit of a public relations problem, too. If they build this big fancy casino and they say, well, we're using well water. I know there was arsenic and acetone <laughs> and all kinds of nasty carcinogens in the water, but we, we drilled a little deeper. It's okay. Come on. Come, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy... Uh, <laughs> Enjoy a drink on us and still, uh, yeah. There's still going to be poker. a sulfur smell that they're going to have to deal with. Well, they say <laughs> they say they will drill. They, they, I don't. I'm not a geologist, but they say there's a layer of clay or bedrock or whatever below that that would protect the groundwater, the drinking water from you know water which may have been contaminated by the Delphi plant. 
They also say they can treat the water to get rid of that nasty <laughs> smell. Come to the casino. It's a gamble. <laughs> we don't <laughs> smell. <laughs> there are all kinds of jokes about casinos going through my mind right now, but I won't get into that. Um, the other casino development this week, Laura, John Kasich has said that he would like to revisit the, the tax rate that these casinos would pay to the state and to the cities. But that's all set in stone, correct? It's all, it's all. The voters, uh, you know, voted a constitutional amendment. So you can't just come in and, and tinker with the tax rates. I suppose he could ask them to pay more than they're required to, but I don't know that they're going to be that, um, you know, amenable to that. I think what he was doing was just voicing the same opinion that every other lawmaker seemed to have after issue three passed back in 2009. Immediately, uh, you know, people who didn't think it was going to pass immediately when it did pass started complaining about the tax rate not being high enough. There's nothing they can do about it, as Laura said, though, because it is, you know, kind of set in stone there in the Constitution at this point. But you, you, go ahead, Kathy. I was going to say, you can't blame um, you know, John Kasich for having some magical thinking about it right now. I mean, if you were facing $8 billion whole, you might be thinking, okay, where are there possibly other ways? How fast could we, for example, get a constitutional amendment? Mm-hmm. I mean, are there things, you know, they've gotten all that low-hanging fruit. I could imagine, well, you would look at this industry and say, okay, I know it's a constitutional amendment, but maybe this is something we could do. Well, I think the lawmakers are probably all kicking themselves now because mm-hmm. they're thinking, you know, had... They let the the casino operators write the amendment and get it passed and finance it. Had the state officials gotten out ahead of it, they could have written the terms to be um, sweet for the taxpayers, and that just didn't happen. I think they were very scared about, you know, opening that, open up that Pandora's box. So. And Leah, that. The state faces a big budget shortfall. The economy really hasn't gotten going yet. These casinos may not be the best deal, but they're going to give a lot of money to the state budget. At some point, they're, they're going to say, okay, let's just move forward with this and take what we can get. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes, they will. Yeah, this is all just part of negotiations. And um, in Kasich, I, I completely agree with Reggie. It's just voicing the, the, uh, the, the words of the people and some, a little bit of buyer's remorse, I think, with this situation. So you don't see us going back to the ballot anytime soon? I don't know who would fund it. I don't know who would pay for it. The casinos paid for it last time. And the casinos certainly would, would fund an opposition campaign. That's right. You'd have to <laughs> That's right. Go through all that again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Our next topic, the transition from Governor Strickland to Governor Kasich continues. John Kasich has named a few top administrators, and he continues to collect resumes from applicants looking to fill some 4,000 positions, which will open up when the new administration takes over. The governor-elect has taken some heat for keeping those applicants' names private. Catherine Turser, you don't think that's the right way to go. Why? Yeah, you know, uh, wanting to know who those applicants are, it's not about, you know, being nosy. I mean, although I have to admit there's a part of me that just kind of, yeah, just kind of wants to know who they are and have an opportunity to look and see kind of what that information is. It really comes down to that worry about cronyism. And the worry that, that in fact, the best um, public official is selected and appointed. And, and that the public can be part of that process and give input. If you don't know who's actually up, then the public can't say, well, wait a second, I'm a little worried about this person, or make suggestions themselves. And also there's that whole thing of, like, you know, we all have a sense, and certainly political insiders are all kind of, so did you hear this, did you hear that? And it's all gossip. It's not part of the public dialogue the way that it should be. A transparent system really gets at cronyism. Leo, the the governor-elect argues that he wants to keep it private to get the best people. He Mm -hmm. says he fears that if it's a public process, somebody who has a good job, who doesn't want their employer to know that he or she wants to leave, Mm -hmm. won't apply. 
Well, we live now in a WikiLeaks world, right? <laughs> so um, the w recent scandal uh, where uh, hundreds of uh, uh, diplomatic um, correspondents uh, were were disclosed to, to the to the public, or thousands, um, it, it shows that that show it's it's similar in a way because it shows that um, there are countervailing factors why uh, government uh, wouldn't want to disclose this information. In that in the WikiLeaks case, it's it's uh, national security. In Kasich's case, it's because he wants to find he's got a tough job ahead and he wants to find the best people. So this this just, uh, it's a matter for the people to decide. Do they want uh, more information? Do they want more government transparency? Or are they willing to acknowledge that there's a, there's a reason why government would keep some information um, secret? But uh, Kasich knows he's got to disclose it. He said he's going to disclose it in January, just as uh, Strickland did January 2007, disclosed all the resumes. You know, the, the public record in Ohio has been shrinking over the last decade pretty dramatically. And uh, I think it's in response to um, people are concerned in the Internet world that there's less and less privacy, that people can look up driving records, court records, divorce records instantaneously and, you know, be, be that nosy neighbor. And, um, and also there's also the, the concern about identity theft. But there has to be a balance also. You have to, you know, hearken back to was it, um, Louis Brandeis, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, said that the best disinfectant is sunlight. And I think that transparency, I agree with, with mm -hmm. Catherine, that transparency is, is um, an essential ingredient to, um, to a good government. And okay. I keep going back to you know, your notion of, you know, it's 2010, it's not 1950. People have a series of different jobs throughout their lives. Employees move around in a way that they didn't used to. That notion that if employer finds out that you're looking for something different, it's not, it's just not the same as it was, you know, just a few years ago. People are always looking to better themselves and looking for new opportunities and looking for new jobs. It's just a different climate. Yeah, I, I kind of think we're going to see a lot of this during the Kasich uh, administration also where they'll, you know, maybe try to do some things that maybe they know they maybe don't have the right to necessarily do because even when uh, they announced that they were going to try to keep these things private, these names and resumes and such private, they still hedged a bit. They still realized that, you know, if we face a legal challenge, we probably will lose. Mm -hmm. But we're just going to throw it out there anyway and just see if anyone challenges us. And, and there was uh, at least one newspaper that I'm aware of, like the Cincinnati Inquirer, I believe, mm -hmm. was threatening to sue, and others I know were looking into it. So, Moving on to his, as he fills his administration's, the top of his administration, the, the department heads and the, the, the directors, can we see any trends developing based on the number or the types of people he has um, chosen to fill these positions, Department of Transportation, his budget director, and things like well, that? Well, you know, it is interesting when you think about it. You know, a five have, have been appointed at this point. That's five out of 23. So, you, you know, that's not, you know, that's not the majority. But all of them are white men that are older. That, that is a little worrying, uh, um, but this actually gets back to that transparency thing. If we had a sense of who was actually but up, you Beth would Beth be... Beth Hansen, the chief of staff, might have a um, bone to pick with you on that. I, mm -hmm. She wouldn't qualify as a white male. <laughs> oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, no, they're all white. They're white. I'm so, you're absolutely right. Sorry, Beth. Yes. Um, but that notion of, like, you know, how do we how do we get to diversity? And you can't say out five out of 23. That... You know, the diversity may come later. You, you know, if you look, ar look around right now, we're five people. You know, we're more diverse pool than we might be. We're more women and men. But five is just only five. Um, the Democrats had complained about the diversity issue as well, but there are two-thirds of them left to go. So um, we'll have to see. The, the types of government officials they are. Are they deficit hawks or not you know, tight with the money? Are they reformists? Are, they, are we seeing some of that stuff? 
It's interesting. I when I think of the gentleman, um, Ray, uh, I'm losing his first Jerry name. Jerry Ray. Jerry Ray. Apparently, oh, dot director. Oh, dot director. Um, I was kind of interested in that because um, w you know, we have this conversation about diversity, but there's also this thing. This is a gentleman who is a lobbyist for the asphalt industry, moving into a position for ODOT, and so that's worth having a conversation about too, and thinking about well, what does that mean in terms in terms of his role as uh, um, being part of ODOT. And uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say. I mean, one thing with Jerry Ray, though, he seems to have a a, a pretty good reputation from his first mm -hmm. stint as ODOT uh, director back in the 1990s, and so he didn't get a lot of uh, pushback necessarily this week on on that particular selection. Mm -hmm. And I think one of his earlier picks, also Tim Keene, to be the but the budget director was a pretty solid pick as well. I mean, he's he's well regarded, um, you know, around the state house on these bu on budget type matters. You know, seems to be. You know, very knowledgeable. So, and I'm comforted by Kasich picking people with experience. Uh, he's a fifty thousand kind of foot visionary sort of leader, and he needs people with experience who can do things like bring him back to reality at, at times. Uh, the governor elect met with the president this week. He looks for f looking for flexibility on how to spend the three C passenger rail money. That's not going to happen. It looks like also looking for flexibility on how to spend Medicaid funding that comes from the federal government. Laura. There's not a whole lot of flexibility that the federal government gives states with regards to how they can spend this money. I don't think that the Obama administration is feeling really flexible toward John Kasich or other Republican governors who uh, are newly elected. Um, and yes, you're right, the, the 3C rail money, that was specifically for passenger rail. You can't just adapt it for freight train modifications. I mean, it gets back to the point I was making earlier. We're going to see a lot of this where they're going to want to try to do what they can or, or what they want to do and then have to later maybe get an answer, you know, no, let's just do it until someone tells us that we can't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same what we saw on the, the names and resumes and, and, and such as well. Okay, our next topic, come early January, Ted Strickland won't have to worry about any of these state issues anymore. Of course, that was not his choice, but nonetheless, this is all John Kasich's problems now, and the current governor is on to other things. But what other things are ahead for Ted Strickland? The outgoing governor, has he given any kind of hint as to what might be next in his career or his personal life? Uh, no, actually, a couple weeks ago, he said he hadn't given any thought what's at, at all. Um, would be surprising. Uh, and I checked with his office just before coming over here, and they said that they still had, had no news. Uh, he did have 20 minutes with uh, the president in the Oval Office this past week, so certainly there was plenty of time to talk about positions in the administration, or um, of course he could ask for an ambassadorship, although I think he's more of a domestic policy kind of uh, public servant. I, wouldn't, I, I would be surprised if he became ambassador to some far-flung nation. Um, and um, you know, if, if all else fails, he could also go into academia. That's what uh, Bob Taft did. He works at the University of Dayton now. He did say, I think, during the campaign that win or lose, this would be his last election. He's 69 years old. We don't expect him to run against John Kasich in four years or something like that or run for, you know, another office down the road or maybe Tim Grindel's house seat. Maybe he, went up <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't live up there. But. No, I think that you're right. I don't think he's going to run again, but I, I really don't think that he's going to retire uh, right away. I think he'll... He wants to continue to yeah, I think, do I think public Lawrence, policy work. Right. He's more of a domestic um, sort of relations th type person. And he did give an interview while he was in Washington this week and talked very much um, as if he is still very much in touch with Washington politics. He talked about the Bush tax cuts and how uh, the Democrats in Washington aren't able to get, you know, some things ac accomplished very smoothly. So um, he wasn't talking about uh, Ohio at those times. He was talking about the Washington stuff. So I, 
it's definitely trying to stay connected in that level, I believe. Well, I think he would write a really interesting autobiography. He's somebody that I would, I, I think that would be an interesting thing to do, you know, as you re-examine, you know, where you come from. And I also think that notion of, like, you know, getting, getting a Ph.D., becoming a psychologist, what that means, how that translates to public life, I, you know, I think it, that would be an interesting thing. That's what I would do. Does it make sense, Leah, politically for the Obama administration to try to bring him on in some kind of high-profile position? To ma- they've lost the governorship here, mm-hmm. uh, maintain some kind of connection with a, bu- with a governor who was voted out but still remains personally popular here. Well, uh, the administration needs Ohio, obviously, mm-hmm. in, t- in 2012. Um, but there's been a lot of criticism about Strickland's campaign for not really reaching into the Democratic base in the, in the appropriate way. And so if that's the goal, then, then perhaps that's, a, that's not a good idea. Okay. Ohio will have a new attorney general come January. Mike DeWine narrowly defeated Richard Cordray last month. One thing Mike DeWine has promised to do is have Ohio join other states' lawsuit challenging the new health care reform law. Lee Sellers, is this political grandstanding or is this a legitimate case, a legal challenge to their law? Well, I think the uh, 14, or, I'm sorry, 16 attorney generals and four uh, state governors who are uh, parties to the, the lawsuit that DeWine intends to uh, join that is pending in federal court down in Florida would say, yes, it's a legitimate case. And in fact, in October, uh, it survived a major challenge uh, by the federal government, a, a summary judgment motion. And in that case, uh, the, the judge denied the summary judgment motion and said it's plausible that uh, Congress did not have authority under the Commerce Clause to pass the individual mandate of the health care bill. And of course, that is the provision that says that uh, by 2014, er- um, nearly every American, subject to a few exceptions, they have to purchase federally um, approved health insurance. That's what the states are claiming, that the, the federal government has no right to mandate mm-hmm. we buy health insurance. What's the advantage, though, for Ohio to jump in on this? It's essentially seeking an injunction. Well, the only advantage is just uh, manpower on the uh, on the caption. Frankly, the, as you you know, this lawsuit is well underway, with or without Ohio, it's going forward. Um, a couple other lawsuits um, were dismissed by federal judges uh, recently. One in similar kinds of claims, one in Michigan and uh, one in uh, Virginia. There's a separate claim by the Attorney General of Virginia. So th- this is being challenged, and and it also has uh, a great chance of being uh, a mood issue if the current Congress or um, if uh, future Congress dismantles all or part of the Obama health care plan. Why not mandate folks get health insurance? We mandate drivers get car insurance. Because the, the, the argument for mandating health insurance is you get younger people, healthy people, mm-hmm. into the system. They pay in, but they're not taking a lot out. That balances the pool so those who are sick, older, and need the money don't pay as much in premiums. Well, what you're getting at is, is the notion that how does it work if you don't ha- bring those younger people in? How does it, wor- how d- how does it work you know, to just say, okay, it doesn't matter what pre-existing conditions you have unless you bring in this younger pool of, of applicants needing health insurance? Um, and and that's, that's a good question. How, w- how would this work? The interesting thing, though, is in this lawsuit that uh, DeWine intends to join, that's not on the table. The public policy um, issues are not on the table. That's not what the judges are considering. They're considering whether Congress had the authority, this broad-reaching authority, to pass a law that uh, requires people to buy a s- particular product. So it's not on the, the policy question. It's on whether they have the authority to do it. Right, pursuant to the U.S. Constitution. So is it, is it equivalent to mandating we buy car insurance? You know, a lot of people don't 
A lot of people drive without car insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask anybody who's been in an accident. It's yeah. you know highly likely that they were hit by an uninsured driver. Yeah. It's a big problem because it does it, you know then the uninsured driver expenses then it get put on everybody who's insured. You have to figure that a lot of people won't buy health insurance even though they're mandated to buy it when this when this and when and if this other. But they won't be hit hit with a, pen, a tax. They'll be hit with a penalty. Just to be clear about that. Yeah. Okay, let's get to our last topic. Tim Grindell knows where he will be for the next two years, right where he has been for the last few years, the state Senate. So why is this news? Because Tim Grindell just won a seat in the Ohio House, but he's decided to forego the will of the voters that chose him. He will not take the House seat. Plain dealer political cartoonist Jeff Darcy suggested this week that Grindell won't stop there. The problem there is that voters <laughs> did not give Grindell the option of the governor's office. Reggie Fields, they did put him in the House, though. The they voters did. did put him in the House. So why is he not going? Well, we also reported that, um, you know, that Tim Grindell was really trying to a power move to get his wife into his Senate seat. And he's denied that, of course, but it, that appears to be what he was trying to, to accomplish. And once he realized that the Senate was not necessarily going to readily go along with that plan, he wants to shift back and just uh, reserve his Senate seat. Why didn't he ask that yeah. question before he ran? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. Or what he been given that indication that maybe he could do this if that was the, in fact the case. I He's don't a very confident person if you've ever, you know, <laughs> met Tim Grindell. It just doesn't it doesn't smell right. If that's yeah. the reason or if there's another reason it doesn't smell mm -hmm. right and uh, some conservative groups are are calling for the Senate to explore expulsion of mm -hmm. uh, of uh, Senator Grindell. Because essentially what he's doing, he's, he sort of hijacked the whole election process. I mean, okay. he's taken it completely out of the voters' hands to be able to make the pick for that House seat up there um, because he technically he holds it right now. And by relinquishing it before he ever, you know, actually claims it, now the uh, Republicans in the House are going to get to just handpick someone. And, you know, that's not fair to the voters. He says he's, he's decided to stay because he's not sure his replacement will share his conservative values and he can better represent his district in again, the Senate. It, no one can do it better it should, than me. Right. <laughs> again, it should be about the voters, yeah. you know, right. not, not just right. one person. Well, that's and right. it's interesting when we think about kind of the musical chairs because of term limits that people play, I, I think sometimes people get this sense of entitlement. Well, if I hold this Senate seat and I run for the House, of course I'm going to get in the House, and when I'm in the House I'm going to be able to go back and forth to the Senate, and it's all going to work out because of these appointments. It's all just going to be fine, and I'll just work it work it out. Um, and this is an example of, assume, you know, why didn't he ask earlier? Like, what what was he thinking about the whole switching? I you know, he said he said um, nobody's getting on Steve Bureau or Jim Zeringer for running for, for positions and then taking other jobs in the Kasich administration. I think that's a little different. It is different. a little different. And, and he said, you know, that nobody can, uh, that he, in, upon thinking about it, he thinks that he can best serve the constituents by staying in the Senate. Well then, I mean, he's a smart guy. Why didn't he think of that before he ran for the House? Mm -hmm. So does this go to the larger point? Is there a better way of filling vacancies to eliminate this kind of stuff? You just have special elections. Every time, I know it's expensive, but if there's a chance that the party could lose that seat if someone leaves, my guess is that fewer people will leave early. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can, you know, make it so that you can't run from, from cover. You know, necessarily. I don't know. I mean, I was so, sort of surprised that he could. I, I didn't realize the rule would allow him to go back to his unfinished term, you know, considering he was on a ballot and got elected to another seat. Yeah. And they, they can't give it to his Democrat opponent, who lost badly. Mary Briggs is her name. Right. She lost pretty easy, pretty handily, but that would stop someone from 
<laughs> <I'm> <laughs> really sure the, would. the second place winner, the second place finisher, runner up comes in. Runner up, that's it. The cost that would and the a, delay that would, that would result as um, at, for the campaign period and the special election period would be. You could pretty have great. them during the pr doing, you know, like for example, odd numbered year. You could do it during the mm -hmm. primary and just have it stack up so that you wouldn't have that additional cost. If, do it during the primary and do it during the general during odd numbered so years. Unfilled, unfilled seat. Yeah, until you that could. Point. An appointment until you get to that point, and that person okay. could run for office. I mean, that, that would seems be reasonable. That and actually that seems in, reasonable in, um, in city council. Yeah. Um, rules that often. Plus, you could probably have it line up when they take their five-month hiatus from actually meeting. <laughs> 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 or you could have the candidate who's leaving have to pay for the special election. There you go. That would also deter <laughs> folks from leaving early. Yeah. Okay, it's time now for our final off-the-record parting shots. Catherine Turser, you're up. Uh, well, I had this fun, kind of funny idea that John Husted would actually decide that he wanted to remain in the Senate, and he's <laughs> not going to take his seat uh, as a Secretary of State. That's <laughs> not going to happen. Oh, <laughs> Leah. Yeah, uh, John Kasich being a bull in the China sh bull in a China shop uh, this month, and w as, as I think some some of the panelists have said, will continue to be through his term. Some of that China needs broken, though, so it's a good thing. <laughs> he, he will definitely provide better quotes. I think, <laughs> the outgoing governor. Uh, speaking of John Kasich, uh, he's taking on this, this budget. I don't think he's going to come in and just cut, cut, cut everything. I think he's going to uh, really go after the collective bargaining uh, reform in the state of Ohio and really go after state employees on that issue. Okay. And Laura? Uh, you know, the John Kasich just spoke to the Ohio Farm Bureau and mentioned uh, Grand Lake St. Mary's and urged farmers to self-police and police one another to try to root out the bad actors that are causing the runoff, which then causes the algae bloom. I'm going to predict that there's going to be another big algae bloom this summer. I think it's going to take at least another year to try to solve that problem. Okay. All right. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check us out online. If you happen to miss a program or you just would like to relive this experience, we put all of our episodes online. You can go back and check our predictions to make sure they were accurate when we made them and see how they turned out. <laughs> you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. All that stuff's at our website, wosu.org slash C-O-T-R. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.